Hello and welcome to Ground Control to Major Mark, a slice of life podcast hosted by me, Mark Shantos. This is the first episode that I'm recording in 2023, and it's the first episode that I've recorded in a while. There may be another one coming out before this this year, um, but this is the first time that I've sat behind the microphone since I sat down with Maggie and Jordan in the summer of 2022. So what am I going to talk about after this hiatus? Um, you may be wondering, is it my life? Uh, well, uh, thanks for asking. My life's pretty good. I uh, am engaged to the fiance of my dreams. I got a good job. You know, things things are pretty good. I, I moved into a new place. No, no, I'm not going to talk about any of that. I want to talk about my latest obsession. Obviously. I mean, who do you think you're talking to here? <laughs> So, yeah, today we're going to be talking all about board games and uh, board games, board games, all things board games. I have uh, monkey brain and when I get, you know, into something this deep, it's like all that I can think about. And for the past like couple years, but especially the past like six months, I've been just like obsessed with board games. So... (laughs) Today, we're going to go over my favorite board games. Um, I don't know what it is exactly that has drawn me lately to board games specifically. I think at some point, obviously, I had uh, some gateway games. Uh, COVID helped because uh, I was always around the same people, but and I wanted to do something social, but couldn't be a large group, and board games are perfect for that. And then also, I just realized like I love a puzzle, and I love being social, And board games is just like the perfect combination of those two. And so now I own like 30 or so. And I kind of have the issue where if I play board games with people and I don't think that they had a great time, I don't think, oh, they're not a board game person. I think, oh, I just don't have enough board games. (laughs) Like there is a game out there that they will like. (laughs) I'm like determined. So uh, we're going to be covering all the games that I've played, not including uh, any games that are like fully luck or kids games. Um, we're not going to be covering Candyland or Hungry Hungry Hippos, even though Hungry Hungry Hippos is a pretty fire game. Uh, it won't be appearing on this list. <laughs> and I'm also going to be calling out uh, recency bias. So basically what that means is if I mention a game that I played for the first time within the past two months, I'll make sure to say something about that because uh, at least for me if I played a game recently for the first time I probably hold it in a higher regard than I might typically so if I don't say anything like that game is kind of settled more and it honestly means a little more if a game's higher and I don't have recency bias because I have 66 games here and it goes uh, 66 to 1 and if I could rank number 0 Number zero would be any new game, probably. I love learning new games. I need more people in my life who love learning new games because I understand why you wouldn't want to like come over and spend half an hour learning a game and then like an hour to play it and it's like kind of janky and it's only at the end that you realize like the strategy or even all the rules. Um, but I I really like that. Anything else before we get started? I've been making a couple games. I've been making... Uh, One by myself primarily, and then one with my friend Chan. Um, I might talk more about that. I'll try to tell stories about games as I go through. But yeah, Uh, and then this might become an annual thing. 
Uh, I, I'm probably going to make my top board game list every year. I'm not sure if I'll record a podcast. Um, if I do next year, it might be like I might just do top 20 and do it with someone so we get their list too. Um, that way it's kind of more fresh because I know I'm interested in top board games. I listen to like YouTube videos and stuff of people's you know, top 50, top 100 board games that they do annually. But I know that that's not exactly normal. So maybe I won't do this every year. We'll see. Definitely give me feedback if it's something you're interested in. But yeah, we'll start from the bottom as we get closer to the top or about uh, top 25 or so. I'll kind of describe the games more in depth, but from the bottom, we'll be going pretty fast. So without further ado, I'll get into it. Like I said, there's 66 games and numbers 66 to 63, I call good sport territory. Uh, <laughs> there's no games that like I would outright refuse to play, but um, these are the games that if I'm playing, I'm being good sport and I'll try to have a good time. Uh, and those are number 66 is Monopoly and then Cards Against Humanity and then Secret Hitler. And then what do you meme? Monopoly, I think that it's a good game. I just don't get it <laughs> i have some like trauma with it i just always losing and it also has the problem where it, it has like a 30 minute beat down like the last 30 minutes if you know you're gonna lose you know you're gonna lose for 30 minutes and that sucks and then secret hitler is my lowest game that like i would strongly recommend like a lot of people like it and i can see why i'm just a bad liar and i also have trauma with that game of being hitler too many times in a row and uh, just generally not having the best time. I also think that the storyline of what happens in Secret Hitler, I've kind of seen play out. I've played that game probably like 10 to 20-ish times in my life, and I haven't seen anything unique happen in a while, so that's another problem. The next two games are games that maybe I haven't played enough. I feel like I just don't really get it. I don't get the point. And that's number 62, Exploding Kittens, and 61, King of Tokyo. All right, now uh, the next games are games that are uh, either classics. A lot of these are classics, or they're like kind of just good for what they are. Typically, I'm down to play them. They're good games, um, nothing crazy. And that's uh, number 60, Apples to Apples, and then Tinderblocks, Checkers, Chess, The Game of Life, Phase 10, Uno. So honestly, like Uno and Phase 10 and Game of Life specifically, I really like those games. They're super social games. I like just having something in front of us, but you know, you kind of uh, end up talking to the people around you, which is totally fine. Like I said, I'm, I'm down to play them. So now at 53, we're getting to games that I would be excited to play. So uh, like I said, I love board games. Um, and in fact, there's 53 that if you were like, hey, we should play this game, I would be like actively really excited to play the game. So getting into those, those are Blockus, concept clue and then number 50 is patchwork and then 49 is intrepid intrepid is a game that i backed on kickstarter 
Um, if you don't know what Kickstarter is, you can start projects there and it's kind of like GoFundMe. You get people to to fund your project. And in the board game world, it's where a lot of people, especially self-publishers, will try to get funding for their game idea so that they can get the funds needed to manufacture it and ship it out to people. And I've kind of got burned on Kickstarter. Intrepid is my lowest game on here, so I haven't been burned that bad. But I wouldn't recommend backing games on Kickstarter because you get excited about it and it seems super fun and interesting. And then you wait like a year and a half and then it shows up on your door one day and you're like, oh, yeah, this game. And um, it's not necessarily good. You know, you backed it before you ever heard any reviews or anything like that. So, so far, I've been pretty lucky. The games have been pretty good. Intrepid, I really want to try again. It seems super hard. It's like a cooperative um, dice manipulation game where you are in space. You and up to three other people are in space and you have to control like the oxygen and the food supplies and stuff like that as like meteorites are hitting the ship and stuff. And I played it once and it was really hard, but it was pretty fun. I just need to give it another shot, I guess. So moving on, we have number 48, Code Names, and then Battleship, and then Wizard. Uh, Wizard is a game that I played for the first time recently. It's a trick-taking game that my fiance's sister's fiance taught to me over Christmas, and it's pretty fun. And then The Mind is number 46. That game is sort of like a camp game. It feels like something that you'd play at summer camp. Honestly, I would just give it a try. There's like no communication during it and it's super simple rules, but it's kind of fun. Like what happens with the group? It's kind of like a psychological game. And then number 44 is Mysterium. This is another recency bias game. I just learned it from my friend Jake uh, right around Christmas and I need to try it again. If you like murder mysteries, this is a really good game for you. There's a lot of people that I would recommend this to. I feel like my sister might like it. I, she might have said that she tried it. And my friend Maggie was on the podcast earlier. She she might like it too. Anyway, uh, number 43 is Throw Throw Burrito. 42 is Arkham Horror, the card game. This is a Lovecraftian campaign game that you play with cards. And the rules are kind of complicated. But it's pretty fun. But I haven't been able to convince anyone to play with me. So if that sounds interesting, definitely hit me up and I would love to play sometime. And then uh, number 41 is The Chameleon. 40 is Encore. That's another recency bias game. And then Queen Domino. And then uh, starting with number 38, we're kind of in the realm of like, if you mention this game, I'd probably react with, oh my gosh, I love this game. Uh, And there's 38 of those. So... Starting with 38 is Telestrations, uh, such a good classic. And then Sushi Roll, The Crew, The Quest for Planet Nine. Um, Takenoko is a game about panda eating a bunch of bamboo in the bamboo farm, and you're the farmer and the panda. Um, but I definitely have some recency bias with this. I played it with Caroline for the first time at the local board game cafe. Uh, if you're ever in Lincoln, Nebraska, I would definitely say that you should check out Mana Games. It's a really good board game cafe. They just started up, I believe, in 2022. 
and I have a lot of good games, and I just played that one recently, along with my next game, number 34, 60 Second City. 60 Second City, again, recency bias, is a super fun game. This is your PSA that if you ever go to a board game cafe on a date or with one other friend, you definitely should check out 60 Second City. It's super goofy, super fun. The rules are super easy. Caroline and I are probably going to play it most times that we go to the board game cafe, not as our main game, but as like a little warm up or cool down game because it's really fun. In fact, it's Caroline's like number four game or something like that when she did her ranking this year. Moving on to number 33 is Catan. Great game, nostalgic. I've just played it too much. I think I need to try the expansions. And then after that, I have Sushi Go Party, Skull, and Risk. Risk, I wanted to stop and mention that this is kind of where my bias maybe is shown because Risk is the game that I grew up and loved. And I think it's equally valid if you grew up with Monopoly and you love that because they both have that same 30 minute beatdown problem where like if you're losing a risk, like you are losing for a long time. And both of them, both risk and Monopoly have the same issue where they're like you get eliminated as well. So sometimes your friends are playing for like an hour after you're playing. Not always ideal deal with board games but i just prefer risk maybe because there's no negotiation or trading in risk and i'm not typically the best at that it's just pure like puzzle problem solving yeah risk is definitely like the classic that i grew up with there's definitely a time in my life where this was my number one game (laughs) probably from the time that it was given to me until i was like 20 or so maybe i would say that this was my favorite game yeah i I have a nice wooden box set that i got as a kid i think my mom got this game for me and i remember that i could only ever convince my babysitter one of my babysitters to play with me and i don't know if she was letting me win or not but i would win a lot and she was just like happy to play i guess i got shine and jack to play like once and i don't think that they ever played again and after that, the next few times I played were all on snowboarding trips. Someone would bring Risk. And uh, those snowboarding trips are also how I first learned Catan. Uh, that's why that one's kind of nostalgic. When I was like 15, 16 or something, someone brought Catan on a snowboarding trip. And we just played it over and over and over. So, yeah, definitely definitely a lot of nostalgia between those two. Number 29 is a game that's also a classic but didn't become that meaningful to me until recently and that is Yahtzee Uh, this is the OG roll and write Yahtzee basically self-describes roll and write and I'll use that term uh, coming up in some other games you roll dice and then you write something on a piece of paper because of those dice and uh, I played a lot of Yahtzee in college and then I remembered or found out or maybe my dad suggested it but somehow I started playing with my dad and now it's like the number one game that I enjoy playing with my dad I would probably say and I play it with a few of my friends too and it's just such a fun like social game and like it's such dumb luck (laughs) like there's a little bit of interesting decisions in Yahtzee but like it's mostly just like rolling and and just getting excited about 
numbers, you know, on like plain white dice, which is really silly, but um, I, I really like Yahtzee. So number 28 is Creature Comforts, another Kickstarter game that I need to play more, but pretty fun. Uh, Caroline likes this one a lot too. 27 is Just One, and then 26 is Lost Air. Lost Air is a trick-taking game that has a very Canadian theme, and it's not super well-known. I don't think even like most Canadians would know about it, but it's Caroline's number one game. It's um, my future in-law family. It's, it's a total classic in their family. It's one game that they'll all play, and they're all down to play like all the time. And like the first few times I played it, I was like, it was my first trick-taking game to be fair, but I was like, what is going on? Like, I don't understand. Like, I was just so confused. And then I kind of got into it more and I started to realize like, okay, there's interesting things happening here. And it's something that like, I don't, recommend it because for one you can't find it anywhere it's out of print and like caroline's family they probably own like every copy left in existence so if you're with them i guess i would recommend it but on the other hand it's like you could always play like 500 or whatever you could play another taking game so uh yeah super just kind of random game uh lost air it honestly might not peak at 26. I might grow to like it more purely because I know I'll play it like at least five times a year. But yeah, that's Lost Air. So now we are in the top 25. So these are my top 25 favorite games ever. And as of this year, and uh, I've kind of written a couple notes on each of these. Uh, so rather than going off the cuff, it's I'll go into these all a little bit more in depth, and uh, we can start with number 25, Codenames Pictures. I mentioned Codenames way down near the beginning of the list, and it's not really because I don't like Codenames. I just kind of prefer the Pictures version. If you've never played Codenames, it's a party game where there's all these tiles out that have a bunch of words, and you have to group the words together with a common word, so you might uh, group like angel and butterfly and airplane or something like that by saying flying but you wouldn't want to do that if I don't remember what they call it there's one word that you can't say so if that word was like b you would steer clear of saying flying because you instantly lose if you draw that one and there's two groups and it's super fun but the pictures version instead of having words is like abstract pictures and this is my preferred version because I really like interpreting the pictures and like looking at them and also like all the pictures or at least most of them are like things that I would get as a tattoo. <laughs> They're all really fun. So yeah, that's Codenames Pictures. And then number 24 is Betrayal at the House on the Hill. This game has fallen quite a bit from the top. It was definitely my top 10 at one point. If you've never played it, it's a super thematic spooky game. It's a great one to bring around uh, Halloween, bring out and it's a game where you are exploring this haunted mansion and you each have these fun characters and you're going room to room and uh, things are happening and like slowly more and more um, that you get closer to this thing called the haunt. And what happens during the haunt is that one player becomes the bad guy and they betray everyone and then they have to 
go uh, read the bad guy rules for the scenario. There's 50 different scenarios. And then everyone else reads the good guy rules. And uh, then you come back together and you play out the second half of the game like that. And I think that that's where my issue with the game comes is that it kind of breaks the flow of the game that someone has to go somewhere else and read rules and it's usually pretty janky. And if that person isn't like so much of a board gamer, sometimes they have a hard time understanding the rules. And the rules are also just kind of written poorly. So even like I would have an issue reading the rules sometimes. And you end up like usually having to have the good guys and bad guys like compare notes anyway. That being said, it is still my number 24 game. I think you just have to go into the game knowing that it's going to be unbalanced. You have to not care about winning because depending on when the haunt happens, um, it might be like horribly, horribly unbalanced. You just have to go in, go into it for the um, for the fun of it, for the theme, not be competitive, be willing to like have a little bit of rule jank in there. And as long as you're willing to go through that, it is the best spooky game ever. It's the best thematic game that I've played, I, I would say. And it's still this high because every October without fail, this game is going to get busted out like, at least a couple times. And yeah, that's that's Betrayal at the House on the Hill. Number 23 is Near and Far. I accidentally wrote down Above and Below, which is the creator's other game. And I think maybe I've played that one too. I'll have to ask Luke. But basically, I played this game in college and my roommate Luke owned it. And he played it with me. And it's super fun. <laughs> like It's it's a really goofy game where basically uh, in near and far you are you have this camp and then you go out and explore. And uh, when you go out and explore, you have these random encounters and there's this book of encounters. And so you do like some fun reading of like a little story that happens and then you get to make like little interesting decisions. And it's just a good time. Um, I would say that my one complaint that I remember and, and I really do want to go back and play it. But my one complaint that I remember is like, I felt like I was making a decision between having fun and winning <laughs> because I would always want to just go out and just see more encounters and see more of the story. But that wasn't always like the best thing to do. And so like I kind of made myself care about winning, which maybe going back, I would just care about having fun. But I, I wish it was just like a fully cooperative game that was just kind of about exploring and maybe defeating like a final boss together. I think we would have played it more than perhaps because I don't know. I remember just being like torn between like, oh, man, I like I want to win. But I don't know. It, it's goofy, but still a really fun game. I would definitely recommend Near and Far. Number 22 is Pandemic. This has fallen from my top five. Um, if you've never played Pandemic, it's a great cooperative game where you are fighting off uh, four different viruses in a pandemic and the viruses are going to destroy the world. And the game did come out before COVID, so it, it wasn't as like sad, I guess, when it first came out. Um, but it's still an amazing cooperative game and I would totally, totally recommend playing it at least once or beating it at least once. I would just say that the puzzle gets less interesting after you've won it a few times. Um, this was sort of a gateway game for me. It's like I got a couple of my gateway games and then Pandemic was one of the first and 
I really enjoyed it, and Caroline and I played it a lot, and we beat it on easy, and then we beat it on normal, and then we beat it on hard, and we beat it on hard again, and then it was like, okay, I'm ready for, you know, something else. Um, At this point, I would say that I have more time, or more fun, like, either not playing and just watching, or just, like, taking a back seat, because even if you are playing, um, everything's open information, so... um, you can kind of like let everyone else decide the puzzle for you. And you can just kind of be like every once in a while, just throw in like, Oh, maybe you want to think about this. Um, but I also own the campaign version of pandemic pandemic legacy. Um, and I haven't given that a shot yet. I think me and Caroline and her brother are hopefully going to play it at some point. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that where, you know, it actually will change up the puzzle and stuff like that. Number 21 is That's Pretty Clever. This is a recency bias game. I got it for Christmas for my sister. And it's a roll and write game where you're trying to get combos and hit a high score. It's a German game. The original name is Gans Schon Clever. <laughs> and it's a really good one. I, I really like roll and writes like this and Yahtzee. And Encore is another game that I mentioned earlier. There's something about just like a gambling thing and it especially feels like you're gambling because you have a little piece of paper. So it's kind of like you're rolling dice, you're gambling in that way. And you're also like, it feels like you're doing a scratcher or something because you're crossing out this little piece of paper. And usually rolling rights have just enough luck and just enough skill where they feel like, you know, they could be at like a casino or something. And I, I just have like a lot of fun with them. That's Pretty Clever is the newest one that I've been really, really into, and it might overtake uh, my top roll and write, which will be coming up here in a couple numbers. Uh, before that, though, is number 20, Azul Stained Glass of Sintra. Uh, this is Caroline's number three game. If you've never played any of these Azul games, they're all kind of modern classics. They're abstract uh, tile drafting games that are uh, kind of puzzle games. So there's a bunch of tiles in the middle. And you draft them in certain ways, and then you add them onto your little personal puzzle that's in front of you. It's really hard to describe, so I won't say too much more. They're just really clean and really fun, and I really wanted to play one. And I went to the Game Chest, which is a board game store in Sioux Falls that I would highly, highly recommend. And uh, the owner, Amanda, was there, and I asked her, you know, what Azul game she'd recommend the most. And she was like, well, are you like a gamer? Like, do you do you like games? Do you understand like complex rules? And are you willing for rules to be like a bit more complex for like a bigger payout? I was like, oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, At the time, it was like my fourth big board game that I bought or something. So she recommended uh, Stained Glass of Sintra. And I'm really glad that she did because it's a really, really good one. Number 19 is Ticket to Ride, another modern classic that I learned in college. It might peak here on my list at number 19. It might fall like Catan because I just, every time I play it, I'm like, all right, I'm, I need to try a new version of Ticket to Ride, the base one I've, I've kind of seen play out a few times. That being said, I don't think I've ever lost Ticket to Ride. So, uh, you know, if you want to take me on, you know, hit me up, uh, bang my line because I'm definitely down to play. <laughs> Number 18 is the Catan Dice Game. This is my favorite roll and write, which might be overtaken by That's Pretty Clever. It is Catan as a roll and write. It has all the things that you would expect from Catan. It's building roads and settlements and cities and getting knights. 
but it's on a little scratch out piece of paper. It's the smallest piece of paper of any of the roll and writes that I play. And my brother really likes it, which is a big reason that I really like it because it's a reliable one where him and I can sit around and play. And he's actually the one that pointed out to me that like, it feels like a game that you'd play in a casino or, or something like that, or at like a slot machine or something. I don't know. And so that's another reason I really like it. I also realized, uh, speaking of Jack, that I didn't put Domino Spinners on this list. A little too late to realize that. That probably would have been somewhere around like 30-something. Um, but it's just a spin on uh, Dominoes. And uh, my family really likes it, which is why I really like it. So thought that I would throw that in there. And then number 17 is King Domino. This is a game that I first played at a board game cafe in Kansas City with Caroline. I think it's the first board game cafe that I ever went to. It definitely packs a lot in the setup time, the play time, the teach time. It's all a super quick game to play, but there's a lot of fun game in there. And uh, it's a game that made me realize the value in like having games that are easy teaches. I have a lot of people who teach time is their biggest barrier to playing board games so more and more i've been trying to find games that don't take too terribly long to play but more importantly don't take too terribly long to learn and king domino is one of those which is why queen domino is like way further down on my list because it's it feels like you don't get too much more out of it for how much more rules there are it feels like it's like the same experience way more rules so maybe if you were super into king domino queen domino would be like a good next step but for me i prefer uh the king himself king domino <laughs> uh number 16 is lords of Waterdeep. this is another recency bias game my friend chan who plays games with me recently and he's the one that i'm making a game with he taught me this game he owns this one he just got the expansion which i'm really excited to play but Lords of Waterdeep is a worker placement game based on the Dungeons and Dragons world. And if you don't know what worker placement is, it's basically a game where most of the board is places to put your workers. You have a certain amount of pieces called your workers. And in order to do anything in the game, you have to place a worker. So you have like a hand of cards in some of these games, including this one. And you can't just play those. You have to place a worker, which lets you play one. And then you can place a worker, which might get you some kind of resource. Or in Lords of Waterdeep, uh, it'll get you a quest. Um, it has that Dungeons & Dragons theme where you're trying to take up quests and then, you know, fulfill them with certain resources. And it's it's just a really fun game. And it's cool because in this game, some of the actions that you can take are ones that you you own. You can, like, buy them. So anytime someone takes one of those actions, they have to pay you to do them, which I think is just really unique. And um, I'm, it might go up next year. I could definitely see it if I play it more with Chan. But yeah, de definitely a super fun one. Number 15 is Wavelength. If you haven't played Wavelength before, play it. Everyone should play this game. It's super, super fun. It's probably the best party game i've ever played it's definitely the top party game on my list this year it's super great it works well in groups from i would say like five to like 
15 people maybe i don't know it, it works in groups of like every size it's ridiculous and uh yeah shout out to um, my friend ben for introducing this game to me because it's so good but <laughs> now that i've rambled about it what actually is it so wavelength is a game where you have two opposites uh if you're the chosen person so it might be good guy and bad guy or nasty smell versus pleasant smell you know something like that that kind of like two ends of a spectrum and then without showing anyone you kind of rank on this wheel where you think or no the the wheel shows a ranking so it's like 40 percent, and then you come up with a word that you think you know best describes that so if it's like popular candy versus non-popular candy and it's like 20 percent, you might say something like whopper I don't know. You get the picture. It's a super fun game. You have to try it. It's it's great. Number 14 is Crokino. If you haven't played Crokino, I would definitely recommend it. If you ever find a table, they can be pretty expensive. It's sort of like Pool or Ringo, where it's a game that you might find at a bar, but it is considered a board game. But it also can be manufactured by so many different people. So you could play on a quality board, a non-quality board. Some people spend like 500 plus dollars on like super quality boards. And I've always wanted to play it because I've never found it. And this is another recency bias game. And I finally got to play it at uh, my fiance's family's house because little did I know they actually own this game. (laughs) And uh, it's just a great game where you flick in these rocks on this little circle and you're trying to get them in the center and then you have to flick rocks to hit the opponent's rocks and I really want like a nice board one day. It's just a super fun game to like stand around and socialize. Yeah, I would definitely recommend playing it. If you ever see it at a bar or a board game cafe or something, you should definitely, definitely try check it out. Number 13 is Heroes of Barcadia, another recency bias game and my greatest Kickstarter success. <laughs> I backed this game in summer of 2021 and it finally showed up. Uh, around Thanksgiving, and I was super, super excited. It's basically a dungeon crawler where your character is a pint glass and everything in the game is a pun about drinking or alcohol. (laughs) So the dungeon is made out of coasters and you play as a glass of beer. (laughs) It is ridiculous. And the beer left in the glass represents how much health you have left. So you go around and you have a d20 dice and you encounter monsters and you roll and you fight them and you might die and then you just hit like drop all your loot and then uh, you refill your glass with more beer and you start again and it's just super super dorky it's definitely like the dorkiest way that i've found to drink <laughs> but it's super fun and it's also not a game where like you're gonna get like hammered or anything it's pretty chill you're gonna have like one and a half glasses of beer like it's all good but um regardless it's super fun and the items in the game are super goofy and if you play with the right group it it just seems super fun i've played once and i'm really excited to play more in 2023 number 12 is no thanks and you guessed it it's another recency bias game uh you might have noticed a theme of A lot of these recency bias games are up here. And also just the fact that I've played like, what is it, 10 new games in the past two months? 
So uh, that probably shows like how into trying games I am right now. Um, but no thanks. Probably my best money value to playtime game that I've ever owned. It's about 10 bucks or so. And all it is is 32 cards and 55 little pebbles, which we call schmeckles. It's a super fun game that goes super well with family and friends and plays really well in groups from, I would say, four to six is about the sweet spot. And it's just such a great game of you get a card and you don't want any of the cards because cards are points and lowest point wins. And so you put a schmeckle on it and you say no thanks and you pass to the next person and then they can say no thanks or they can take it with the schmeckle on it. And it's super easy to learn. And once you're like five minutes into the first game, you'll be like, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. So definitely a game that I would recommend giving to a family member or playing with your family or anything because it's gone over super well with so many different groups. And I've only owned it for like a month and a half, but I've played it like 45 times. So (laughs) that's no thanks. Number 11 is Kingdom Builder. This is a game by Donald X. Vaccarino, uh, which is why I had to try it. If you don't know who that is, you will at some point in this list. <laughs> but uh, Kingdom Builder is kind of considered a modern classic. It's a really fun game where the board is always randomized and you have these little house pieces that you have to place on the board in order to score points. And the way that you score points is also randomized. So I think it was one of the first games to like really do the whole like the board is randomized and the way that you score is randomized. So it's different every time, but you can definitely get super good at it kind of thing. It's it's one that I played at the board game cafe in Omaha, another board game cafe that I would totally recommend. It's called Spielbound and they have a ton of games there, more than the one in Lincoln. Yeah, this this is the game that I played there that I probably like the most out of all the ones I discovered there that is Kingdom Builder. So now we're into my top 10. If you've made it this far, I'm quite impressed that you've sat through this many ramblings about board games. <laughs> but uh so happy to have you here. If you know me, definitely hit me up and uh we can play some of these games. But without further ado, my top 10 games of 2022. Number 10 is Arboretum. This game is thinky, but elegant. It is pleasant to look at, but very brutal to play. <laughs> it's it's a super fun card game where you'll only play like 8 to 12-ish cards throughout the game, but every card that you play just feels like a brutal decision because you're trying to lay cards, which are all trees, it's all different types of trees, in front of you uh, to have the best arboretum or collection of trees. And you score points by having paths of trees uh, from numbers going 1 to 8. And the cards in your hand help you score points. So in order to score a certain type of tree, you have to have cards of that tree in your hand and on your board. And so you're looking around at your opponent's boards and you're trying to collect their trees in your hand. You can only have seven cards in your hand. So every time that you play, you have to draw two cards, play a card, and discard a card. And that discarding a card feeling in Arboretum is so painful every single time. 
because it's like one of the few games that you play where you just don't want to take a turn like honestly the last like four turns i'm like i wish i didn't have to take a turn because it's so painful to like try to come up with which one of these cards i want to get rid of because i really want to keep all of them so yeah it's it's definitely worth checking out definitely a super beautiful game and just deceiving when you look at it with how like actually tricky and challenging it can be number nine is carcassonne carcassonne is a modern classic tile laying game and i got it last christmas christmas of 2021 and i really like it because it kind of reminds me of that christmas season i definitely already have some nostalgia with it it reminds me of the road trip that i went on at the beginning of 2022 with my friend Josh. It just feels cozy to me. It's such a fun little game where all you're doing every turn is picking up a tile and placing it down. And you have these meeples, <laughs> which are these little like wooden figures. And you can place one of those. And that's all that you do. And it's another game like Arboretum where it's very elegant, but very thinky. Except unlike Arboretum, it has like a bunch of expansions. And it's probably less elegant when you get into like having 11 expansions or something like that. I had to be convinced by watching YouTube videos that this was going to be a game we're trying because at first glance, it does not look super exciting or appealing, but it is a very, very fun game to play. Number eight is the Quacks of Quedlinburg. This is another recency bias game. Tried it for the first time at Thanksgiving this year. And this is the highest game on my list that I don't own. And it is also the highest game on my list that I have never won. <laughs> But shout out to Ben again for introducing this game to me. He calls this game Gambling for the Whole Family. It's a game where you play as someone trying to stir up this cauldron to make a potion. And every round, you're going to add little chips into your bag. And then once the round really starts, that's kind of in between rounds. Once the round really starts, you're going to be drawing these out of your bag and trying to score points and uh, having like combos that you've set up. So it's a lot of luck for sure, but it's in the best way. And if you're behind, there's a comeback mechanic called the rat strategy, also known as the rat strat. Without rat strat, this game would be way further down on my list, but rat strat rules, rat strat forever. That is number eight, Quacks of Quedlinburg. So number seven is Viticulture. I own Viticulture Essentials Editions. So that's the only one I've ever played. I think that's kind of the standard one that you can find now. I got this game in Kansas City uh, at a board game store there. And the guy recommended it to me. I just walked up and said, hey, like, what's your favorite board game? I was still pretty new into the hobby. And he said, you should try Viticulture. It was my first ever worker placement game. But it's a game where you are planting grapes in your field, in your vineyard. And then you are pulling them out into your crush pad and then you are making them into wine and then you're selling them. So it's all about having a vineyard and selling wine. And it's a super, super cozy game. And as of now, it's above Lords of Waterdeep. But what we kind of realized, we, we played both of these games recently. I played with Chan and Caroline and Chan's girlfriend. We realized that Lords of Waterdeep is a little easier to grasp because in that game, you get a quest and you find a way to get the resources, and then you complete the quest. Whereas in Viticulture, it's like, all right, how do I get grapes? Okay, and then I plant them, and then how do I turn them into wine? Oh, I have to crush them, and then turn them into wine? And then after all that, I have to 
get the contract to sell them and then I have to sell them. And like after that playthrough, I was like, has this game always been this complicated? Like, I guess it's just been a while since I taught anyone, but like I never realized that this game is like <laughs> there's a lot of stuff you have to do. So Viticulture is definitely a challenge to teach. But once you learn it, it is super, super cozy and we play it consistently a few times a year. So, yeah, definitely love it. That's Viticulture. Number six is Hadrian's Wall. This is probably the game that I'm excited about the most, like currently in this moment right now on January 4th, 2023. I just got it for Christmas. Huge recency bias. When I first made this list, I put it at number three and then I told myself to chill out and I was like, move it down a few spots because like you just got it. But it is so fun. Hadrian's Wall is basically the wall where Emperor Hadrian in the Roman Empire said that this is the border of the Roman Empire. This is the edge of the world. This is Hadrian's Wall. And the game is themed around that. And it plays on two big pieces of paper, kind of like a roll and write. And it's this puzzle where you have servants and citizens and soldiers and builders and resources. And you are building you know the wall and you're building up your guard and you're building up the city behind the wall which helps your wall and you're just trying to bump these uh, victory tracks up more and more the victories like discipline and renown and stuff like that and it's like the first few times you play it, it's a super complicated game the first few times you play it you can ignore like half the game you can just say like that i don't want to learn that right now i don't have to do it i'm just going to ignore it i'm just going to do this and then the next time you're like all right now i'll try this and then now i'll try this and now i'll try this and then it takes you like four games to actually like try everything in the game and then you can start trying to get good at it <laughs> like i'm still so bad at it but it's just such a good time and it's just like a ridiculously fun puzzle um and it's a game where like you'll never have enough time. It plays over six in-game years and you'll never have enough time to do everything that you want to do. It's just a ridiculous amount of fun trying to figure out like how you're going to spend these resources. And sometimes the game just cracks me up like how thematic it is. Like sometimes you'll want to boost your piety track. So you'll build temples and stuff and boost your religion in the town you're like, oh, man, I need more piety. How do I get that? And then you realize like, oh, I can train a gladiator and then sacrifice him. <laughs> it's just such a goofy game. It also is like the best solo game. I play a lot of that's pretty clever recently solo. I don't play a ton of board games solo because usually it's not nearly as fun. But Hadrian's Wall, you can definitely play it solo and like just do it as a puzzle. Kind of like just, you know, sitting down and doing it like a puzzle i promise it's normal people do puzzles alone all right let me play my board games alone Jeez, all right <laughs> but yeah that's hadrian's wall super super fun game if you ever want to try it definitely let me know it's a, it's a long teach and it's a weird game but it's totally totally worth it i could totally see it rising but it could also be a flash in the pan maybe i'm not nearly as into it next year so i guess we'll find out All right, getting into my top five. Uh, number five being Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. If you haven't heard of Gloomhaven, it's this massive campaign game that's kind of like Dungeons and Dragons if D&D &D was like a tenth of the story and like five times the combat. 
and the game itself is the dungeon master. It's super fun. Jaws of the Line is like kind of a smaller version, but it's still pretty big. And you go through these dungeons and fight, and you get these awesome ability cards. And I've played it once with Caroline and once with Josh, and both times I got about halfway through. And uh, I really want to go back this year and complete it and eventually maybe play the full Big Gloomhaven one day. But yeah, if you've never heard of it, and that seems like something that's interesting to you, this is one of those games where there's a whole like culture around Gloomhaven. Like Some people aren't even board gamers, but they love Gloomhaven. So there's so many YouTube videos and just look up our review and, and check it out. That's Gloomhaven. Number four is the highest game that I did not play in 2022. I realized right as I was recording this, this never hit the table this year, which is super sad. That is Terraforming Mars. Terraforming Mars, super fun game where you're doing exactly what you think. You are trying to terraform the planet of Mars. You play as a company that is doing things like sending nukes to warm up the planet and you know, trying to get water on the planet and food and stuff. And you're trying to be the company that contributes the most to terraforming the planet. It hasn't hit the table mostly because I can't convince other people to play it. Even though it's a very well-liked game, it does take like 20 minutes to learn and like two hours to play. And it's a little bit like convoluted in some ways. I've heard people describe it as like an old computer game that plays out in a board instead of on a computer. It's one of those games where like you think it's all about the board, but it's really all about the cards that are in in your hand. It's all about like getting your resource production up early so that later you can have these turns where you're getting like a ton of resources and you can do a ton of stuff. And so it really ramps up fast. And so if you're not very good at it yet, you won't realize how bad you're doing until like you get to these turns where everyone else is like, doing a ton of junk and you're just like still sitting there like what is going on but i really like the game i got the terraforming mars Ares expedition which is like a simpler version of the game at target this year for 20 bucks so hopefully uh that game's good and i can convince more people to play that way maybe learn that way now's a good time to mention that my resolution of 2023 is to play all of my games at least once including all the expansions yeah, hopefully I can make that happen and Terraforming Mars will hit the table this year. All right, number three is my highest recency bias game, but I totally stand by it. It was initially placed at number two before I had myself chill out a little bit, and that is Cascadia. Cascadia is a super, super great game. Unlike Hadrian's Wall, where I know I'm just really excited about it and it might not be as good of a game as I think, I know Cascadia is a really, really good game, and everyone that I show it to is like, wow, this is a really elegant game. There's a lot here that's really fun. There's a lot to it, and it does have randomized scoring, but it never feels like difficult to learn the scoring, but basically, it's just a tiling game of picking up a tile that's a habitat tile and placing it in front of you and picking up an animal tile and putting it on one of your previous place tiles. And it's all like super naturey and cute. It's like birds and bears and elk. And Cascadia is the region around like Washington and Vancouver and Portland, kind of in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, super, super fun game. I think that it's a game that you could like play with your family. It's it's a really, really good one. That's Cascadia. All right, number two is a game that 
I play a lot with uh, one of my best friends, Carson, who may or may not be editing this video. And it's a game where you draw maps, kind of get these Tetris pieces, and you draw them on your piece of paper and uh, try to fill up your little grid there and try to score points. It's called Cartographers. It's a game where I own every single expansion and I really need to play more this year. It's super fun. It almost always goes over really well when I teach it to people. It's got randomized scoring, which is like the hardest part to learn because every game that you play, there's these weird scoring conditions. And unlike Cascadia, which they're all kind of the same and easy to understand, cartographers can be a little bit like, what is that saying? But as long as you clarify before the game starts, like this is our goal. And as long as for new people, like the first five or so turns, you're kind of explain what you're doing so that they can like start to pick up. Oh, now I'm starting to get it. You can definitely get past that learning curve. And then it's super fun. And it's a game that you can just play over and over again. Um, Carson and I just played a ton of this back in 2020 and 2021, I want to say. And it's just super fun to have that creative element where you can draw on your map and you can make the map look like yours. You get to name your map. You get to name yourself. You get to name the territory. You get to draw houses, however you want to draw houses. And then there's these monster cards where you pass your map to someone else and then you get one pass to you and you get to draw a monster on their board. And it has to fit in a Tetris piece, but the monster that you draw can be whatever you want it to be, which is super fun. And people usually draw like stuff really vulgar, <laughs> but it's super fun anyway. You just try to make someone else's map that they've been like making all pretty and beautiful. You just make it like as ugly as possible. And then they have to deal with the monster because otherwise they get negative points. Super fun game. That's Cartographers. And then number one, if you know me or you know the podcast, you probably know what it is. I've made an entire episode about this game already, and that is Dominion. I would definitely recommend, if you're interested, going back and listening to that episode. Since I've already done that, I won't talk about it too much. But Dominion was just my gateway game. It was my COVID game. It's a game that I've played 150 plus times physically, 150 plus times digitally. I'm in an online online league where I have to like schedule matches and stuff. It's like one of the few things in my life that like I have to schedule and like I put in that much effort to play this game. And it's just like a super fun game. The theme is pretty dry, but it just feels like a game that I'm gonna be playing forever. Definitely one that I would recommend checking out because like everyone that I show it to is like, oh, I get it. This It's really pretty easy to pick up actually. You know, I think games like Magic and stuff are super good, but Dominion is much easier to pick up and you don't have to, not everyone playing it has to own it. So that's kind of the advantage of uh, playing Dominion instead of something like Magic or something else like that. Yeah, I don't know if it'll always be my number one game. Some of these newer games that are coming up, like I'm starting to be like, oh, interesting. Like I haven't had this much fun with Dominion in a while, but usually they kind of die pretty fast and then Dominion rises to the top again. So who knows? Uh, I know Caroline would kind of roll her eyes if I said Dominion wasn't my favorite game anymore because I do have all the expansions. So like 
Dominion takes up as much space in my house as like a piece of furniture. <laughs> and I wish that that was a joke. <laughs> but it's a game that like got me truly into the hobby. It's a game I learned in college. It got me through COVID. I, I really owe a lot to Dominion, created by Donald X. Vaccarino. Same creator as my number 11 game, Kingdom Builder. And that is Dominion. So, uh, yeah, thanks for listening to me ramble about my favorite board games of all time. I had a lot of fun doing this. I had more fun than I expected, to be honest. <laughs> but, yeah, if you ever want to play a board game with me, definitely hit me up. Board games, board games, board games, uh, board games, board games, board games, board games, podcast, board games, board games. 